Yes. Who are the Irish among us? Come on. Top of the morning to you, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, so I thought I'd better wear this today, given the thrashing that we uh, got us English uh, from the Irish yesterday. You must be well happy today, Irvin. And we English, we're keeping very, very quiet, despite the last minute scramble of a try. Uh, but also, uh, not just a um, great day for the Irish yesterday because of the uh, rugby, uh, but it was also St. Patrick's Day, wasn't it? So, hence the uh, stupid hat. Um, some, can we just go back one, Stefan, for a minute? We'll, we'll get holy in a minute. Let's just be a bit stupid for a bit longer. All right, because I don't want to take this hat off yet, because um, I bought it specially for today and I want to get my money's worth. <laughs> so, anyway, March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, um, and that was apparently the Supposed day of his death, okay? Uh, and he lived in the 5th century uh, uh, B, uh, AD, and he was a very, very holy man. But, and I think he did wear silly hats, but uh, as in bishop's hat, because that's what he ended up being, Bishop of Ireland. Uh, but I don't suppose he wore one like this, though. He was probably much too holy and not as stupid as me, so I'll take it off now and leave it down here. In case you don't know who I am, I am Claire. I am one of the ministers here, and uh, I have now got a burgeoning collection of silly hats if anyone wants to borrow them anytime. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about St. Patrick though. Here he is uh, looking somewhat miserable, I think. Uh, However, let me tell you a little bit about him, okay? Uh, He was born in Roman Britain, uh, as I said, in about the 5th century, uh, thereabouts, 400 AD. Uh, And uh, unfortunately, Irvin, your predecessors didn't do very nicely by Patrick because Irish pirates came marauding across and captured Patrick. Patrick, and took him off into Ireland, into slavery. Uh, And there he was uh, in his early teens, actually. He was quite young when he was taken off. And he was put to looking after the sheep. uh, But it was through that slavery experience that he uh, started to pray more. He was out there on his own. And he eventually came really close to God and gave his life to the Lord. So he became a Christian. Uh, He had some kind of dream vision thing, can't just remember what, but God's saying, uh, you must go home now. So he escaped. Uh, And he was uh, after six years in slavery and he escaped in his early 20s, therefore, back to England, back home. Um, And there he studied and became a priest. And uh, once he was a priest, he then had another vision and it was calling him back to Ireland. And so he went And when he was back in Ireland, he eventually became bishop. And over the years, his preaching converted thousands from their pagan way of life. He shared the gospel with the Celtic peoples there. And that's what we're thinking about today here in Camberley, uh, how to share the gospel, how to communicate the good news in a way that people will relate to. Because St. Patrick took his message Uh, to the society that he was reaching out to. Uh, He tailored it to where they were at, but he definitely didn't water down the gospel. As we'll see uh, a bit later, there are some irreducible elements that the gospel that we must put in our message in order for it to be effective. 
And he was very aware, though, St. Patrick, of what was um, important to the people in Ireland. Let me give you some examples. First of all, he realized that for them, quite a warlike people, laying down your life in battle was really important to them. It was seen as the highest of callings. So what did he do? He encouraged them to take up the sword of the Spirit and lay down their lives for a greater message, the message of Christ. And their concept of the spiritual world was one of fear. There were gods with small g's around and spirits all around and they needed appeasing and keeping on side and if not, they'd really have it in for you and you'd be in big trouble. But Patrick taught them about God's love expressed through the wonders of the natural world around them. He preached, he chose to preach right in the middle of their pagan sacred places to show that God's power of good was triumph over evil uh, in every instance. And then to counter their practice of human sacrifices to appease their gods, he told them about the ultimate sacrifice of Christ on the cross once for all. No one else needed to die. Christ had done it all. So he really thought about the ways of connecting with the people God had called him to. Now, if we look in the Bible, we can see how Jesus and Peter and Paul also tailored what they said to their audience. Let me tell you a little bit about what I mean there. Now, Jesus, as you'll know, mostly talked to Jews. And the Jews at his, in his time were very intent on the coming of the kingdom and of the Messiah. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. So that's what he talked about. He spoke of himself as the Messiah coming to the historic people of God. Then there was Peter. Uh, We had a a long, uh, detailed account of his speech after the Pentecost, after the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, he was speaking there also to mainly Jewish crowds. And he spoke to them about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. He announced that the Messiah had come in the person of Jesus. And his points about Jesus' death and resurrection and about the coming of the Holy Spirit, well, they were all backed up by quotes from the Old Testament, well, we call it the Old Testament, from their scriptures. And they were all very familiar, their scriptures, to his listeners. And what happened when he preached like that? It's the Bible says about 3,000 people became believers on that one day. And then a little later on, we have the Apostle Paul. Now, he preached mainly to non-Jewish people, to the Greeks and the Romans. And he took an entirely different but equally effective approach. Like the Celtic people of 400 years later, the Greeks and Romans were worshipping many gods, each one of them needing to be kept on side with offerings and sacrifices. And Paul's message to them was basically something like this. God's our creator and he's good. You've already got a knowledge or a sense of him. In Athens, if some of you may remember, um, it says he pointed out their altar to an unknown God. And he said, this God that you do not know, this is the God of whom I speak. And then he told them they were wrongly worshipping something other than God. They were worshipping idols, things man had made. They were worshipping, in the case of the Greeks, a set of moral or cultural values. Or in the Romans' case, they were actually worshipping a human being. Caesar, whom they saw as divine. 
And when he'd said all that, finally, he introduced them to Jesus, someone he said he had personally met on the road to Damascus. That's Jesus and Peter and Paul. What about more up to date? Well, in, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we remembered Billy Graham, didn't we, who died not so long ago. And wasn't he a fantastically successful evangelist back in the 50s and 60s? And he brought thousands, if not tens of thousands, of people to Christ through his message. And he using language like sin and repentance and the need of forgiveness. But you know, I wonder, I'm not sure that kind of language would work so well for us today. Sin, you're sinners, you need to repent. Do you know nowadays we don't have any strong moral framework. Truth is subjective. There are no absolutes. It's unclear where we stand regarding truth and morality. So that means that levels of guilt nowadays are way lower than they were in the 60s. If it feels good and doesn't do much harm to others, that's okay really, isn't it? So this is my point. You can see it on the screen. All those that I've just mentioned, they're all great examples. Peter, Jesus, Peter, Paul, uh, Patrick, sorry, and, um, and Billy Graham. They're great examples of how to present the gospel in a way that was effective then, but they are not a formula for success that we can just lift and take off um, and use. Uh, Say, if I preach like Peter, or if I talk like Paul, then thousands will be added to the kingdom. We have to find ways of connecting with people today in language that they will understand. We have to be culturally relevant, just like they were. So I hope that you've all been pretty diligent, if you've been doing it, in following our contagious Christian course that we've been doing, uh, having... um, using this guide that the life groups have been doing. There are some still out there. If you haven't got one of these, maybe you'd like to pick one up. They're there, they're free, um, because this has been really uh, making quite an impact on people in our life groups. We've been uh, making lists of their so-called impact lists, people they are praying for, finding your evangelistic style, deepening relationships, praying to God for opportunities to have spiritual conversations, working out your faith story was what last week's session was about, and so on. So if you've been doing all that, or if you do that anyway, because that's the sort of person you are, do you know what? Sooner or later, people will start asking you about your Christian faith, about what Christians believe. So what are we going to say? Well, don't panic. Okay, but I will uh, join with you on this. I need to own up to being and feeling pretty useless at it, actually. I don't mind sort of standing up here, safe distance. Not too many of you throw things at me if you don't agree. But one-to-one, I find it much, much harder. And I, I am presuming that I'm not the only one here who might feel less comfortable Uh, at speaking one-to-one with people about the Christian faith. Uh, I'm going to tell you this little story. It is not to my credit, okay? Uh, A few years ago, when I was a street angel, I was out in town and um, came across a young man who had been enjoying himself quite a lot, really. He was using the wall to help him stand up. 
but we got we got chatting, you know, the usual conversation, uh, you know, what are you doing here, where are you from, why are you doing it, all that. Um, and you say, I'm from the local churches and we're here to help you, etc., etc. Would you like a lolly, uh, etc. Um, uh, one lolly later, he started asking me questions. In fact, he bombarded me with questions, prob- uh, starting with um, the account of creation in the Bible and where had the dinosaurs gone and why weren't they in the Bible and all that sort of thing. And moving on right through... Uh, about the person of Jesus and did he really exist and what was all that about on the cross and then what about the gays what about the church and gay you know the sort of conversation you get well I'm, I don't mind telling you um, I got completely tangled up and I, and I ended up actually feeling like I was kind of contradicting myself and my only um, sort of uh, comfort was that this guy was so off his head that he probably wouldn't remember anything about the conversation. So I sort of slid off and said, I've got to go now, uh, and left him uh, with his uh, conversation to thin air and the wall. Um, but, so I'm just telling you, um, you know, just because people wear a dog collar doesn't mean they're any good at this stuff, and I've got loads to learn, uh, just like maybe some of you do. But when you do uh, the next session in here on page um, 66, you will discover that there are helpfully some really good ideas about how to share the gospel. But my point so far is, whatever words and whatever way you choose to share the message, that make sure the people you're talking to can hear what you're saying and get what you're saying. But here are the four key elements that we need to include. Um, Before I dive into them, I just want to give something to all you theologians out there. The rest of you can just zone out for a sec. But this is rather a pithy warning quote from a chap called Richard Niebuhr. And he says that missing out these four crucial elements of the gospel will only offer a a meaningless message which goes like this. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. If we miss out key bits of the gospel, that, codswallop, is all we are offering. So let's not dilute our message, despite all I'm saying about making it culturally relevant. I want to say to you, don't let's dilute our message so it becomes no gospel at all. Okay, so that's just the uh, health warning there. So I expect you'd really like to know a bit more about these four essential elements now. And just remember, I'm not giving you like this blueprint to follow. This is for you to take away and work out what you, how you will say it in your way to the people that you will be engaging with. And uh, as I say, if you haven't picked up one of these, please do on the way out. So God, us, Christ, and you. You as in the people you're talking to, Okay. God, us, Christ, you. Let's start with God. That's a good one, isn't it? A good place to start. He is a loving God. God loves us. Yes, he does. That is true. But he is also holy and he's also just. 
Now, people these days have a really great sense of social justice, I think. It's one of the things that my uh, children who are in their 30s talk, talk about and feel a lot, this great sense of social justice. And a holy and just God can provide that moral framework which we lack when or if we have no moral absolutes and if truth is relative. Gospel The gospel can speak to those who are interested in and who want to see social justice. And a loving God, the other side of God's character, can also provide a sense of community in a world where community life is breaking down. Many younger people are really stressed these days because they look around them and they see the quality of their social lives as lacking compared to their online friends, who may be no friends at all, by the way, their online social media friends who keep on posting all these wonderful posts about the great things they're doing and the wonderful time they're having and how fabulous everything is. And younger people can find themselves really in their own minds falling short if they're not having this wonderful time. Do you know, a recent survey found that 91% of young people aged 16 to 24 use social media regularly. I'm only surprised it's not more. Only 91% using social media regularly? And 18-year-olds are the first of this so-called I generation, the iPad, iPod, I iPhone generation to go to university. This is a generation that have been using smartphones all their lives from a very young age and they conduct much of their social interaction through it. And this year there's been a notable rise in first year university students who are highly anxious, stressed and isolated they haven't had the opportunity to learn how to build and sustain healthy relationships in real life. So when they're put to room sharing with a stranger, they don't know how to handle it. They just withdraw. They get really deeply down in a spiral, downward spiral. So younger people feeling isolated and lost don't know what to do about it actually. And at the other age of the age spectrum, at the other end of the age spectrum, we've got older people increasingly living by themselves as people live longer and longer. And also maybe their families are far away, not just around the corner like they used to be. Older age range people can experience the same sense of isolation and loneliness. So knowing a loving God, introducing people to a loving God can bring the hope of relationship with him and with other Christians Belonging to a community. How special to me is the community here at St. Paul's? And that was a key thing when I first joined, of coming to belong, to be part of something uh, that was a community. And God's holiness and justice mean that we can promise that one day, one day, this world will eventually be put right. And everything will be recreated as there is a new heaven and a new earth when the Lord Jesus comes again. But we can also promise that while we wait for that day, God is with us in our pain. God is with us when things are not okay. And this hope can be really compelling in today's world. So that's God. Let's have a look at us. Okay, us. We blew it, didn't we? Apparently, we did. 
Because this good and loving God created a wonderful world, a wonderful world for us to live in and enjoy. And what did we do? We decided to go our own way. We decided to make our own choices. We decided we knew best. And that separated us from God as a result. The traditional uh, story, of course, is Adam and Eve being thrown out of the Garden of Eden because they disobeyed God. Uh, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. Even the nice people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you know what? People these days, well, they just don't think they're sinful. They don't. They think they're trying to do nice things. They're trying to be good. They're trying to be kind. So where is the sin in that? They don't understand that being sinful is simply a case of not putting God first of disobeying the first commandment. I am the Lord my God. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods but me. Putting yourself in God's place, that is being sinful. But unfortunately, these days, if you use language like sinfulness, that actually can be a barrier to people. But on the other hand, we can't ignore the reality of sin and needing to put ourselves right with God. So what kind of language might work when we're talking with people then? Well, the idea of no longer uh, living for ourselves, but living for something bigger and better, living for Christ, speaks to those caught up in the consumerist culture and its need to have more, more, more. Um, There's a passage in Corinthians about um, living for Christ not living for ourselves anymore. Um, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We can talk to people about words like having um, self-control and um, self-centeredness and um, self-rule. People might will get that rather than saying sinfulness uh, and words like that. We can talk to them about the need to just give over control of their lives to God and not continue to try and do things their own way. We can talk about being lost, being separated from God, And we can also talk about people having a spiritual side. And that if we don't fill that with God, something else will come in and fill it instead. Whether that's materialism, wanting to have more stuff, or addictions, or simply um, just going for other religions, for New Age sort of spiritualism and things like that. Something else taking the place of God. And you know what? I don't know, but maybe your own faith story would have examples which you can use. Don't forget the power of your story when you're talking to people about maybe how you blew it and then God brought you back. Somebody put it as there being a sense of collective lostness arising from the greed, the pain, and the breakdown we see in society. We are lost. We are separated from God and we can't find our way back to him. Why not? Well, because he is holy and he is just and he, as well as loving. And our self-centeredness will separate us from him. 
So what can be done? What can be done? A big problem. Well, here's the third character in our message coming in. Christ. Christ paid for it. Christ took the punishment that our selfishness deserved. God, in his love, showed us a way out of our predicament. Jesus, as many of us will know, is wholly human and wholly God. He was the only one who could solve this problem, our problem. The story of Jesus, folks, is still powerful and it still works, so I encourage you to use it. The person of Jesus is very attractive to those who don't yet know him. We can talk as much as we would like about how God himself came to live us live among us as Christ. We can talk about how God identifies with us through Jesus and all that we've been through and could go through. We can talk about how the historically proven person of Jesus came down to earth, lived with us, chose to die on the cross and then demonstrated through that once and for all that God loves us, that he loves us so much that each one of us, uh, that he was prepared to die for us to break the power of selfishness and self-centeredness to take the punishment that we deserved those who are strong on moral justice will surely agree that wrongdoing should be punished and perhaps see that the punishment that was laid on Christ was the punishment that we all should have borne, and he took it for us so that's Jesus Let's look at the fourth character. That's you, as in the person you're talking to. You need to receive this. They need to receive this. The ball now has to go firmly into their court. It's their choice whether to respond or not, and we can't force them. But we can show them that there's a choice that they need to make. We can show them that sitting on a fence here says no to God. It's only a yes or a no, not halfway. Jesus offers us, them, this great gift of relationship with him in exchange for us acknowledging how futile it is to put ourselves at the centre of the universe. But this gift, well, it doesn't happen automatically. The thing about a gift is you have to open it to receive it. It's no good Jesus offering us this gift and then us saying, oh, thanks very much, Jesus, sticking it in a cupboard and ignoring it. We have to open it. We have to respond. Now, if we talk to people these days about being saved and salvation, they won't really get it because, as I've already explained, they haven't really discovered that they've got anything to be saved from. Their life might be quite good, actually, thank you very much. Don't need saving from it. But today, we find the word freedom works better rather than salvation. Jesus said he came to proclaim freedom for the uh, captives and to release the oppressed. Taking the decision to give control of our lives over to God, paradoxically, gives us the freedom to live our lives as he designed us for, to love and serve him, just in the way that we should always be. It's like, uh, for me, it was like coming home. When I gave my life to the Lord, oh, I don't know, 30 years ago or something, it felt like coming home. And that's what it can be like for people who have never had that. 
And I would just encourage you to try not to use language like repentance or repent when you're talking to people who are not really churchy. Um, But somehow the word like rethink can be a bit more um, telling for them. It it still has that concept of embracing a new set of values and behaviours and turning away from previous behaviours, but it's a little less churchified and people find they warm to it a bit better. So rethink rather than repent. But there is this choice to be made and we don't want to be like a person standing in an airport terminal watching all the planes come and go and we might know all the numbers and makes and we might never know where they're going and we might know all about them but we don't never actually got on a plane and gone anywhere. Okay, so don't be a person that knows all about Jesus but never actually experiences him, uh, his life in us, in you, for yourself. So I'm coming towards the end now. There are several illustrations in here, really good ones, about how to share the gospel message with people. I've talked more about the words you might use and the key elements, but these give you some nitty-gritty that might be really helpful, one of which is the really tried and tested uh, bridge and you know, gulf between man and God and the cross um, bridges that gulf. Uh, That one is in there and some others. So do have a look at those and see which one you like uh, and which works for you. So that's what I'm encouraging you to do today. To think, go away and think. You've got homework, okay? You go away and think about how do I answer people when they say, tell me more about the Christian faith. Tell me what your faith means to you. Tell me how to become a Christian. Because it's going to happen when you pray and do all this stuff. We believe God's going to answer our prayers and it's going to have an impact. Remember the urgency of the Bible reading that Kirsty read to us from Romans 10. How can people believe in the one they, of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear if nobody tells them? We are the people God may be calling to tell somebody about Jesus. We are the ones with the beautiful feet that will go and bring the good news. So in summary, all you need to do is just get those four key elements to the gospel message in your head. God loves us. We blew it. Christ paid for it. You must receive it. And perhaps thinking about how you can include your story including Jesus' story and also helping people to know how to take it further. Maybe um, an Alpha course, maybe inviting them to church or some other church event. You'll know what's appropriate for the person you're with. But in either way, how do they learn more about Jesus and take their faith deeper? So I hope that's encouraged you to go away and think about this. Um, because if we're going to be contagious, we actually have to eventually, at some point, close the deal. And uh, we need to know how. So as I conclude now, I just wondered whether anyone might be sitting there thinking, never actually surrendered my life to God, actually. I've never taken the choice of receiving the gift that Jesus has offered me through what he did on the cross, of turning my life around, of rethinking my ways of receiving his freedom. So I'm going to give you the chance to do that now.
The music team are going to come up and there's going to be a prayer on the screen, a simple prayer. And for some of you, this might be a prayer you might pray for the first time. For others, it will be a prayer you can pray uh, in a way of rededicating yourself yourself to what uh, Jesus may be calling you to do. And I think as a sign that we're kind of serious about this stuff, be really good if we just all stand now and I'm going to say the prayer if you would like to join with me as a sign of rededicating yourself to God or to say it for the first time then just join in if it doesn't feel right for you to say it don't say it no one's looking no one's judging it's between you and God okay let's just offer ourselves to him and just ask him to lead us on to whatever he's got for us in the future and after that we'll remain standing uh, and uh, sing a song as response I'll just give you a moment more just to read it through and decide if this is for you If you would like to, join in with me now as we say together, Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for my selfish way of life, for going my own way. Please forgive me. I now turn from doing things my way, from everything I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me and help me lead my life God's way from now on. Amen.